Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. We now come into the time in which we invite you, uh, as you are able to remain standing as we hear the Word of God and we receive the Word of God. Today our scripture comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14, and then we will go all the way through chapter 7, verse 6. I'll be reading from the Message Translation, which is a more modern day translation. So I invite you to give your attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. God honored the Master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sins, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Now getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me, First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable to you. Lord, may we hear your truth. May we experience your grace. And Lord, we pray that we would just be attuned to how your spirit is moving amongst us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
I know what I'm always going to preach about on Easter, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's kind of obvious. I need to make sure that I do that. I don't always know what I'm going to preach the week after Easter. Uh, uh, what, what, what do you do uh, that week after Easter? And so when I decided on this sermon series and, and to talk about these, uh, these obstacles to a, a faithful life, um, it seemed like this would be a good thing to do. And then when I read our scripture today, it is fascinating what Paul says in our scripture. He says, God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. And so he goes on to say that what you do with your body matters because Jesus is risen from the dead. You will rise from the dead. And so what you do on earth with your body matters a great deal. And so it wasn't what I was necessarily expecting to tie the resurrection of Jesus into our sexuality, but that is exactly what Paul does here in our scriptures. And so what we find today is that what we do with our bodies sexually matter to ourselves, it matters to others, and it matters to God. But what we have seen is that God has an order for sexuality, a way in which we are called to live, but the world has disordered sexuality. It has, it has said and done and made things sexually that are not the way that God has designed it for, to be. Because if you look around and you watch, uh, you watch shows on television or you watch a movie or you just see advertisements, then we see messages from the world that tell us things. It says that sex is the ultimate of all of life, that you can have sex without consequences, that pornography and those images are good, and that everybody is doing it and doing it well. But the world is wrong about sex, and sometimes the church is as well, is that we have communicated messages, often by not communicating any messages about sex. And sometimes for Christians, we can get the message that sex is dirty, and if you do it, so are you. That, that this is what we end up communicating by often not saying anything. But we can look at Scripture, and we can look at what God has taught us, and God does not avoid the, the, the topic of sexuality. In fact, there is a whole book of the Bible called Song of Solomon that really celebrates sexuality in a, in a very just descriptive way. How about that? And it is mentioned multiple times throughout our scripture. Now, here's what I want you to know. And this is what we're going to be talking about today is that sexuality is powerful. It's holy. It's a gift of God to be celebrated without shame in marriage. So it's powerful, it's holy, it's a gift of God to be celebrated without shame in marriage. The other thing I want to make sure that you know today is that for those who are guilty of sexual sin, um, and my guess is, is that when you walked in and you heard, oh no, he's talking about sex today, that there was something inside of you that just sort of boiled up, all right, and if I had access to all of your um, heart rates on your phone, some of you are a little bit nervous. Your heart rate has increased because there is guilt because of something that was done to you or something that you've done or some unclear, unclear aspect of life and you're not sure what to do. It. Here's the good news is that there is grace, forgiveness, and wholeness available from Jesus. And so to this message is not about condemnation. It is about the goodness of God, what he's created to do, and his forgiveness and grace when you and I fall short. 
Now, one of the things I often say is that I don't know your story, but I know that you have one. And, um, and I don't know your sexual story, but I know that you have one. And so um, these are really, a lot of what I'm saying, I'd rather have as, as conversations to be able to, to listen intently to, to what has happened and where God can intervene in your life. But I don't have the luxury, um, nor that would be really awkward if I called you up here and had you share your sexual story. So um, we're not doing that today. Instead, you're going to get to hear more of a monologue. But a lot of these conversations I would rather have as conversations as we try to understand what God is doing with us. I want to be careful. Um, uh, just I know that there are people who are in this room who have experienced sexual trauma. Um, and so that maybe you were sexually abused or maybe you were raped or there's some other experience. And I just want to say um, I, I want to be as gentle as possible as we walk through this, recognizing the tenderness that some of you would have. And also, um, I could probably preach for a really long time, or I could do like four or six weeks about this easily. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be covered. I can't nuance things the, the way that I would like to. And so I'm really having to give a big, broad overview. And so there are some of you who, I may say something and you think, well, what about, and I would say, yeah, there's a lot of, but what abouts, and how do we have more conversations about these sort of things? I don't have the luxury of doing that today. Um, and so I would, be, I would be glad to have a conversation. And also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to, to give me grace. This is not my favorite topic to talk about in front of a bunch of people. It's slightly better because my parents aren't in the room like they were in the early service. All right. Um, uh, but if you want to pray for anybody, pray for my poor son whose dad is up here uh, talking about things uh, as well. And so, again, I'm just going to invite some, some grace. There may be some things that you disagree with what I say. That's perfectly okay. Um, let's have conversations. Let's not be mad. I, I really just want to walk with you. That's my pastor's heart coming out. Um, and so no matter what your story is, I, I want to see what it is that God has for each and every one of us. And I understand that we're going to believe and feel some different things, and that's okay. In fact, that really helps us to grow in grace. And you know what? Grace grows here. That's part of what we believe. Now, um, I got the inspiration for this whole sermon series from a book written in 1985. It's called The Challenge of the Disciplined Life. Um, and its other title is Money, Power, and Sex by a gentleman by the name of Richard Foster. You may know Richard Foster because he wrote Celebration of Discipline um, and a book on prayer. Um, this is really good stuff. And the stuff he says in like 1985 as I was reading it, um, then I was just like, whoa, like he could have written this yesterday and it would have felt just as true. Um, and so I invite this, if you want to know more and even look ahead to our future sermons um, the next couple weeks, then you can buy this. Um, one thing I forgot to say is uh, the question I want us asking um, is this, is are you willing to surrender your sexuality to Jesus and to trust him with your desires? This is, again, not a sermon that you hope somebody else listens to. Um, this is a sermon for you to, are you willing to surrender your sexuality to Jesus and to trust him with your desires? That is what I'm asking God to take it in and not to look elsewhere at that moment. Now, a few notes. Um, I recognize that there's a variety of people in this room. There's young and there's old. Um, there are married and there are single. There are widows. There are never been married. Um, a variety of, of different folks. And I pray that you would get and hear what it is that you are calling to hear. And so to the single, we know that your sexuality is more than 
just about having sex or having a partner, that we are created as sexual beings and that God does call us to live that out in faithful ways. Richard Foster has some really good stuff about sexuality and singleness in his book here. Uh, To the young, your sexuality is powerful, it's holy, and it's a gift. You need to steward and use it well. And we invite you um, to follow God's truth and God's path. Even if you don't understand it, the obedience is good, and that's a healthy way for us to do. To parents, um, this is not our favorite subject to talk about with children, but here's the truth. If we do not talk about it with our children, we are seeding the conversation to TikTok, YouTube influencer, and a 13-year-old kid who thinks he knows everything. I don't know about you, but that is not the influence that I want. And so I really think it's important for us as parents to become experts. I think it's really important for us as a church to be able to have conversations and be able to lead it. I know that we're in different places. We may not all agree on different things, but we need to engage in the conversation and to study it from a Christian perspective. And so um, as, I was, as I was thinking about this sermon, I, I, I kind of did some Googling. I came across this book, How and When to Tell Your Kids About Sex. I really appreciated sort of their practicalness, um, their, their spiritual understanding. Um, they also have companion books to make your kid's face red, all right? Um, and so we've got some of those. I've got those examples here as well. Um, but I would just commend this to you, parents. We have a high responsibility to have these conversations. Um, and so I would encourage us to study and to learn. All right, let's get to the good stuff, all right? All right. I'm going to try not to say something, all right? I'm going to try to be careful how I, how I say what I need to say. So sex is powerful. This is the first thing. Um, sex is powerful. We know that sex sells. I mean, if you look at our advertisements, if you watch the Super Bowl and watch the commercials, you're like, golly, is, is eating a cheeseburger really a sexual experience? Are all of these advertisements that we see, does everything have to be sexualized? It does, because that is what we pay attention to, sex sells. I, oftentimes when I preach a sermon, I try to think, I've got to get people to be interested in the thing that I'm interested in preaching on. I didn't have to do that today, because you all are like, I'm kind of uncomfortable, but I'm kind of interested, (laughs) because it's powerful, it is, and there are sexual images and ideas and innuendo are everywhere in our world and in our society and in our conversations. Now, as we think about sex and the problem and the power comes from because sexuality actually meets two of our greatest desires, or at least when I say meets, I mean somewhat meets two of our greatest desires, and that's lust and loneliness. These are signs of disorder in our sexuality, lust and loneliness. And oftentimes we think, well, people are just gone mad and they're just giving into their desires. And sometimes that is true. All right. And that we should have self-control or submit ourselves to God. So we have self-control over our lust, but loneliness is often just as big a factor in our sexual sins. Now, here's what I mean by lust. Lust is objectifying a person for your personal gratification. And sexual sins of lust seek to satisfy the desire without a corresponding commitment to a relationship. And so with lust, people become objects for our gratification instead of the humans, the sons, and the daughters of God that they were created to be. And when we experience lust, we are dehumanizing other people because we only want parts of them or something from them instead of seeing them who God created them to be. And so whenever we 
whenever we follow our lust, we seek to satisfy our inward desire without recognizing and experiencing the mutual humanity of another person. And so we're called to surrender our lust. Jesus said um, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in her heart, has lust in his eyes, has committed adultery with her in her hearts. And so this desire and this, and this way of being in the world is not healthy, it's not good. And, and so many of us are guilty of seeing people as we want to see them, not as they truly are. Now, the other thing that, that causes sexual sin is loneliness. Now, here's how I'm defining loneliness right now, is that loneliness is the state of seeking worth and validation from another. Sexual sin substitutes true intimacy for physical activity. And so uh, this is, I mean, lust has been going on for a long, long time. I mean, we have had, there are, sexual sins are not something that just happened, all right? The availability of it and the acceptance of some things is higher now, but lust has been a long, long time. I would actually contend that our biggest problem is not that we have more lust than ever before, um, but that we have more loneliness than ever before. And that lonely, when I am lonely, I want to seek worth and validation in some way. And so often we can substitute it with this idea of, of feeling validation through another person and through sexual sin. And what that is doing is really trying to put a Band-Aid on a deep wound. And so it may feel good for a little bit. It may make us feel loved, but it disappears. And it's only until the next time. I remember I was talking with a woman one time. And she was, she was looking back on her life and looking back on, on some of her sexual experiences before. And, and she really felt a message of, of grace from, from God. Um, because uh, God said, go easy on, your, on yourself and forgive that young girl. Because she was doing the best that she could with the experiencing that she was facing. And so she was seeking love in a way that wasn't healthy. But she wanted to believe that she was worthwhile. And that's why it's so important for us as a church that when we talk about sexuality, the first thing that we do is we talk about that we are all created in the image of God, that we all have great worth. It is not about who we have had sex with or who we desire to have sex with, all right? It is not about whether we are single or married. What matters is that God has met us and that he loves us and that we are called to be in a community. And I think that if the church took friendship and community and generous love of all people more seriously, we would have a greater impact on the sex lives of others and of our community than anything else. It's not about contraception. It's about community that often matters in the midst of this. Because sex is powerful. I mean, Paul says it, and this is from the New Living Translation, um, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Now, there are some things that, that you all do not do in a sanctuary, right? There are some of you who, like, you walk in and you take off your hat because, um, you know, the Holy Spirit can't get through the brim of your cap, right? It's not holy, right? Or there are some of you who, you know, there'll be somebody, you know, there are occasionally there are some, some words that, that aren't supposed to be said in church, right? And so you'll say them outside, but Lord knows you wouldn't say them in here because it's a sanctuary. I'm a pastor, and uh, uh, as I, when I meet people out in the community, I try not to tell them I'm a pastor first because then they judge me, and I, you know, I'm judging them. I don't want them judging me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not judging them. Um, 
But, but most of the time when they realize that I, was, that I am actually a pastor, um, they apologize for cussing at some point in time. Um, as if the Lord himself didn't hear those words. Um, don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? We, we recognize that there are holy places. And did you know that your body is part of it? And that's one of the reasons why sexual sins um, impact us, is because it's, it's, it's part of what God is doing. And so there is this idea um, of, of power that comes from it. Because our body is a powerful place because it's a place in which the Holy Spirit does reside. And in other people, the Holy Spirit is with them as well. And as uh, I've often heard said, um, as we've watched a lot of Spider-Man in our house, with great power comes great responsibility. And what I'd want us to know is that there is great power in sex, um, but that also means that our responsibility is high. Now, another thing that, that sex is, is that sex is holy. Um, and, and again, sometimes we think that, that sex is a dirty thing. No, 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 sex is a holy thing. And that, that really it is called to be set aside for God's purposes. And one of the ways in which sexual sin, what happens is, is that we twist God's goodness, his design, his plan for it, and we use it for our own purposes. And much of what the world celebrates as this is great sex is not holy at all. It's really just lustful in that mark. But God has designed sex as a holy way for two to become one. For these two different parts and these two different people to become one and united, it is a holy and a sacramental act. He has designed sex for us to be able to experience it and to bond together. Now, I have a visual aid for you. Don't get too excited. It's just wood. Um, all right. So, I want to... I want to show you all something. So again, because part of it is the, the mystery of, of, of sex, right? Is that there are, two, there are two pieces, all right? There are two individuals. But what happens is um, God has designed sex so that when we connect sexually, that it is really this holy mystery that two become one and that we are united together in this holy way of way. So here that two become one. And this is the design of sex. In fact, if we were just animals in our design and in our creation, then it would behoove us to, to have as many partners as possible in order for us to spread our seed as far as possible and keep going. This is part of what being an animal is about. But we are not just animals as it relates to sex. In fact, God designed sex um, with this, this chemical and this hormone um, called oxytocin that is released. It's sometimes called the cuddle hormone or the, the sex hormone. Um, and there are some of you who you like to cuddle afterwards, all right? And that's why, because God has designed us. Some of us like to go to sleep. Others of us like to cuddle, all right? I'll let you figure that out in your own relationship. But, um, and maybe you'll just figure it out in mine too. But, um, <laughs> but this design of sex is fascinating to me. Actually, they did a study um, of, of men, and they gave them this nasal spray of, of, of this oxytocin um, hormone. And so they gave them this nasal spray, and to others, they just gave a, a placebo. And, and then they showed them pictures of various women 
um, and including of their partner or their spouse who they had been together with for years. And what they saw is that the men who had the, who had the spray of the oxytocin found their spouses and their partners as more attractive and arousing than other women, especially those who received the placebo. And additionally, their brain lit up when they saw their partner, and it suppressed the feeling of attraction and of lighting up when it saw another woman. Now, what that tells us is that God did his job well, that we are designed for community. We are designed for connection. Now, Here's what happens is, when we, when we think that we can have sex without consequences, and, and by sex I don't just mean sexual intercourse, I mean this, this sexual bonding and connection that happens, is that, is that we have this connection that's already been established. You've already bonded to this other person. And so what happens in the midst of it is that it tears apart. And there's this brokenness that exists as part of it. And so that you and I, we have, it, it is work to tear these things apart, especially the deeper the, the bond is. And there is this pain and there's this shattering and there are these pieces of nails and there are these other things that harm us whenever we misuse sex for its purposes. And so that God has designed us to connect with another person, but often we try not to connect, but we end up doing it anyways. I remember talking to a person um, and they had a friend who had, who had passed away, and, um, and this person was somebody that they had, they had been intimate with before. And, and they told me, they said, Aaron, it felt like part of me died as well um, in the midst of it. And that's because part of us does. That, that, that two becoming one, it's a spiritual mystery that happens in the mixed. Two become one. And when we break it apart or when we don't use it in the way God intends it to, there is pain and there is brokenness. So sex is designed then for marriage, and it's a celebration in marriage that is a good, good thing. Now, one of the things uh, that, that I've been anxious, um, and I know that you might be anxious about too, is, um, is Aaron going to talk about homosexuality? That's a big, but we're talking about that a lot in the United Methodist Church, and what does this mean, and and what do we do? Now here, uh, I'm going to tell you what I understand, but I also want to say that um, we're at a place where we're all learning and growing, and we all come from different places um, in the midst of this. And our church is big enough to hold different understandings of sexuality and come to church to, with, together with one another. Um, and so no matter where you are, no matter what, what you think, believe, act on, or feel, you belong here. Um, but also we do believe that the Bible matters here. And traditionally, the church and traditionally the United Methodist Church believe that God has designed sex to be between a man and a woman. We see this throughout our scriptures, and this is the conclusion that I come to as well. I, can, I find it biblically affirmed that that is God's design for sex. We see it in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Jesus affirms it um, in his words. We also see it multiple times in Paul. Now, what I want to say is, is that uh, just because I said that does not mean that it is raised to the level in which we raise it today. Um, in fact, often the church has done more harm than good as it relates to caring for people who have same-sex attraction. And we see the suicide rates of, of people who are same-sex attracted, who are gay and lesbian, through the roof because they often feel rejected and disembraced when really our call is to embrace one another. 
Um, and so I'm guessing that there, there might be people in this room who would disagree with me or who practice differently than I do. Um, and I'd love to have a conversation with you um, because it's really, um, I'm not standing here as, as judge, jury, and executioner. Um, but I'm standing here as somebody who has struggled with sexual sin. I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and who believe in grace and the goodness of God and who wants to journey with people. Um, because the message and the grace of God is so good. And what we see in Scripture, all right, is that sex drives are strong, but God has created a way through marriage to celebrate it. I mean, this is what he writes. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Then he goes on to say, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. It's a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. And so what we believe is that marriage sex is a celebration that God has designed. And there's a few different purposes. One is for procreation. It is to create children. That's not the only purpose but it is one of the purposes. And we know that there are some of you um, who may not be able to have children, um, but, but the, sex, the gift of sex is still good for you. We mourn that that part is not there, but that is not the entirety of sex. We also believe that it is about progress. I needed a P, and so that worked well. But it is a way for us to grow together and to grow to understand the love that God has for us. It is a model of love that we can experience in this way. Now, did you notice what he said, that the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality, the husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband? Now, in our world, there is an orgasm gap that exists between men and women. And I want to say to you, Christian men particularly, um, if you want to be a biblical Christian, you better satisfy your wife as much as she satisfies you. All right? Y'all feel really uncomfortable. I'm not even looking at anybody now. Y'all just <laughs> do your thing. All right. Y'all good. I've never, I've never said orgasm gap in a sermon before, so add that one to the list. All right. Um, pleasure. Uh, it is designed to give us pleasure. Thank God that he gave us a, a wonderful way to enjoy life. Again, I mentioned the book of, of Song of Solomon. Just read that, uh, all right? Uh, just read it out in family devotion time. Make everybody's face red. It'll be a good time. Um, but, but really, it is a gift of God that he has given us to enjoy and to celebrate with one another. Um, one of the best actual uh, descriptions I heard about marriage sex um, is that marriage sex is like dinner, all right? Um, because sometimes, you know, you get dressed up. It's a special occasion. There's candles and, and all this sort of stuff, and there's a, a four-course meal. That's wonderful, all right? Sometimes it's like fast food. You just sort of get it done quickly, right? You don't have a lot of time. Other times, all right, it's just dinner. It didn't taste that well, but it just, you know, you just went about your day the next day. And the beauty of marriage sex is that you get to have all of them. Sometimes it's this big plan for event. Other times it's something quick. Sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't work out as well as we'd like. No, that's okay, but we'll try it again tomorrow, right? Or the next day, all right? 
But so often, um, and, and one of the things that I would encourage us as, as, as couples uh, particularly is to, is, to, is to lean in and to, to talk about it. Again, there's so much shame that's often brought into the midst of, of sexuality. We bring our history, we bring our past, we bring the troubles of this world, um, that we need a safe place to be able to engage and to learn, uh, again, learn from God's perspective. And so I'm going to recommend an app to you all. It's called Intimately Us, um, and it's got some just, uh, just different... Um, This is from a Christian couple and just a way for couples to engage, to have conversations, to be able to, um, there's just a variety, there's games, there's all sorts of other stuff, but it's a way for us to center our sexuality, not on what the world says. Again, we don't want what the world says. We want what God says, and this is a way for us to do it and to celebrate it. So I recommend that to you intimately, us. Because the problem with sex often is that there is shame in the midst of it. When God created Adam and Eve, it says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. This is the beginning of our story, is that there was no shame as it related to our bodies and nakedness. Um, But later, after they sinned, all right, they're they're hiding. And God said, I heard you, or, or the man says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, Adam said to God. I was afraid because I was naked. And God, in one of the ultimate father moments, said, how did you know you were naked? I didn't tell you that. But the, the shame that they experience, and often for many of us, whether we're married or single, we have shame that is attached to it. Because we have done something or we have felt something or something happened to us in which we are just covered in this darkness. You see, what often happens is that shame can ruin sexuality. But we believe that God's grace is greater than shame. And so I wanted to share a little bit of my story again because I don't come from a place of condemnation here. But I come from somebody who has had this journey. I've shared my story um, more before, but I want to share it with you all um, again. Um, Like many of you... Um, probably in this room. I, 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 watched, I watched pornography for many years. It started when I was an adolescent, and it continued for many, many years until God set me free about five years ago. My understanding of sexuality was greatly warped by the images that I was seeing and the shame that I was experiencing. And here's what I know, um, is that two-thirds of Christian men and 15% of Christian women admit to watching porn at least once a month. So I am officially sorry for making your lunch table awkward because we need to address it. Pornography is one of the more damaging things that's in our world and our culture today. 90% of youth and young adults um, are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral as to pornography. Now I want to be clear that this is not what God wants for us. Jesus is clear that lust is not just what we do, but it's what we think about as well. As pornography is bad for your brain, it's bad for your body, it's bad for your relationships. It creates unrealistic expectations, it creates betrayal and rejection, it deeply damages trust, and the industry in and of itself, and like a third of all downloaded images in the world today um, are, are images from porn websites. This industry dehumanizes and enslaves people. And it was something that I participated in for a number of number of, of, of years. And part of my experience was that um, I, I did have this misunderstanding of, of, of sex, that sex was dirty and it was wrong, but it was good and it was pleasurable. There was all this disorder in my own life 
about what does it mean. And then, again, the great enemy of sexual sin is shame. Because it heaps on this feeling of, of you are not good enough, you are not worth. Uh, I like the way that this is said. I should feel guilty. In fact, some of you are feeling guilt today because you know what you did last night. You know what you did two weeks ago. You knew what you did five years ago. But here's what guilt says, I am sorry, I made a mistake. Shame says, I'm sorry, I am a mistake. And, and the number of people who are walking around with sexual shame that says, I am a mistake, is incredibly high. And so what happened was that I would carry this around for many years, this idea that I'm a mistake. And this included times in which I was going to be a pastor and, and a pastor, and I thought that I could get rid of it, I could stop it. But part of what I realized is I had an addiction because I could not stop it. And so sometimes what stopped me most of the time was not the porn, it was my pride that says, I can't ask for help. I'm supposed to be good enough to overtake this myself, but I wasn't. And I wanted to appear good to other people. I wanted to appear holy to other people. And so I could not admit what I was doing in secret. And one of the things that I've heard said many, many times is you're only as sick as your secrets. And I had a whole room full of them that was there. And this shame and this guilt was overwhelming. Brene Brown says that shame is the intensely painful feeling of experience or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced done or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And so some of you have been experiencing this shame. Again, you may be experiencing it right now. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is not shame for what you did. You may have been like somebody who was doing the best that they could and you need to let that little girl, that little boy off the hook. Because part of what happens in, in this addiction cycle is it really is a cycle, all right? And so what will happen is, is that out of curiosity, um, it often begins, we'll act out. And then after we act out, we feel terrible about it um, and we feel a lot of shame. And so instead of handling that shame, what happens is, is that we pile on ourselves and we feel bad, we feel anxious. And so what do we do when we feel anxious or depressed? We want to feel better. So we go back and we act out. And the cycle repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself and repeats itself. And so we have to break in. And the only way for us to truly break in is to surrender to Jesus and to say, Lord, I can't help myself. I can't help the desires I have. I can't help myself with my own feelings of loneliness. I need you. And so it was when I reached out to my Celebrate, who is now my Celebrate Recovery sponsor, Gary, and I said, Gary, I have this problem and I need your help. And Gary told me some of the most amazing things. And one of the things he told me is he said, Aaron, you are free. And there is no shame. So that's my, what I want to say to you is, are you willing to surrender your sexuality to Jesus and to trust him with your desires? And are you willing to receive the grace that Jesus has for you? That there is not shame. I, I said this at the early service, and I feel compelled to say two, a few things. I won't say two things, because then when I go to three or four, you'll think, Aaron, you only said two, and I'm hungry. And I can't walk out in the middle of the sex sermon, because then people will wonder. So one thing I want to be clear. Some of you have been sexually assaulted, and you've been raped, and you've thought it's your fault for a long, long time. It's not your fault. You are not dirty, you are not bad, you are not disgusting, you are not unworthy. 
There is grace and there is freedom and there is forgiveness for you. I say forgiveness not because you did anything wrong, but sometimes we just need the grace of God and the goodness of God to overflow us and that we can feel free from what has been binding us. And so if that's your story today, you are, you are free and that does not define you. Your sexuality is part of you, but that is not going to define you. And that there is grace and you do not have to go through it alone. And so if that's part of your story, I would encourage you to find somebody. I don't mind being somebody, but you need to, you need to reach out and you need to walk and you need to experience the grace of God. It's not your fault and it's not okay. Um, I felt prompted between services that if you are somebody who has sexually assaulted another person, there's grace for that. And that you don't have to be defined by that either. Um, and that, that it, it is good for you to confess and admit your sin and to journey with Jesus. So I, I felt compelled by, I think it was the Holy Spirit, maybe it wasn't, to, to say that this morning. Um, but, but there are victims and there are perpetrators and there's grace for both in the midst. God's grace is greater than your sin. God's grace is greater than my sin. And our sexual journey and our sexual story impacts us because our body is a temple and he calls us to be holy. And so again, we, so there's a lot more that could be said about this. Um, and there's uh, probably more that needs to be said. But again, these are better in conversations. They're better in, in searching the scriptures together than they are just from up here. What I want you to know is that sex is powerful. Sex is holy. Sex is to be celebrated without shame in a marriage. And if you're bringing shame into your, into your marriage bed, I want you to feel free from that because God can set you free. And if you're bringing shame everywhere you go, know that God's grace is enough. And are you willing to surrender your sexuality to Jesus and to trust him with your desires? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If you don't know who to reach out to, you can text me on this pastoral prayer line. That number is 405-367-3139. Um, I'll have confidential conversations with you as we take this journey. Again, um, I don't know your story, but I know that you have one, and I know that you cannot walk alone in the midst of it. I want us to just have a time of prayer, and then we'll sing our closing song and just, uh, just thank God for his amazing grace in our life. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.